Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, your host of this podcast, and also the coordinator of the training program within the organization. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, the planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available to the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, also lovingly known as the Australian Astronomer. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and per- programs devoted to the studies of the solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study submitted observations. You can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. That again, www.alpo-astronomy.org. Now, on to the Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Our guest today is Julius Benton. He's a coordinator for the Venus section for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers and also a past recipient of the prestigious Peggy Haas Service Medal uh, with the ALPO. Welcome to the podcast, Julius. Uh, good to be here. Good. Why don't you give everybody a little background about yourself, location, what you do for a living, observing equipment, interests, things like that. Yeah, uh, I've, uh, I live in Savannah, Georgia, actually Wilmington Island, which is an island off the coast uh, of uh, Georgia. It's kind of uh, it's kind of a nice area because I've got some observing sites here, and uh, it's nice dark skies um, from my backyard. And uh, unfortunately, with the or fortunately, from the recent Hurricane Matthew that came through, I was not da- I didn't have any damage to my home, but. Uh, it cleared out a few trees uh, that gave me a better view of the southern horizon, so I've got an even better sky now. Well, so you had a little silver lining to the storm, huh? Yeah, by the fortuitous circumstances. I joined the ALPO back in 1967. Uh, that's when I first met Walter Haas. And then uh, by 19, you know, I started out in astronomy uh, back uh, as an early at an early age, around 10 years old. My, my dad gave me a Unitron 4-inch refractor. Oh, that's a I, good gift just turned 11 it was a little bit too much to handle but uh, i got accustomed to it and uh i still have it i use it occasionally i've gotten you know gotten into larger instruments but uh mm-hmm. you know uh it certainly uh is a vintage instrument and looks as good as it did then so i've taken care of it um but you know i've specialized i just kind of looked around in the sky you know uh you know as a youngster and then uh i just found out that you know, after I got tired of looking at the Messier objects and then uh, NGCs and so forth, I just found that 
who lunar and planetary observing uh, tended to be uh, something that I was more interested in because I saw a lot of changes going on on the actual planets themselves. And, of course, the moon has always been intriguing. So it led me to join the ALPO in 67. And then I got to know Walter Haas, you know, a couple of years after that. I actually met him in Memphis in 1970. Hmm. And um, he approached me uh, about possibly uh, being a coordinator of uh, Venus or Saturn. And uh, it turned out that I ended up doing both since that time. Uh, so I've been doing it for over 45 years now for both of those sections. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. uh, Walter Wal- Walter has had an input, impact on a lot of people I talk to. I mean, I know yeah. I know when I started off in the seventies, I'd get handwritten, obviously handwritten letters from him back then, and they'd just be re-encouraging to to do better and things like that. And he was really pivotal in me being involved with the organization. Absolutely, and you know he's just so instrumental in uh, sort of stimulating my interest because uh, I kind of knew that uh, I would would love observing, but um, he just gave me the motivation to do even more and. To, uh, to get more involved in uh, leading two sections of the ALPO after following on the footsteps of uh, Dale Cruikshank on for Venus, which we're talking about now. And then, uh, so uh, I've been doing it quite a while, and I certainly enjoy it. Um, it's something that uh, I've had fun doing. And then, you know, my own background, I'm, I'm retired. I retired from uh, the aerospace industry. Uh, my background is... Uh, Actually, my degrees, I have a Ph.D. in physics and environmental science. But um, I talked for a while, but I got so involved in uh, the aerospace industry uh, with uh, new technology and avionics that uh, I stuck with that since, uh, you know, way back. Uh, about 35 years I've, I've done that. Uh, I retired uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm enjoying retirement. A lot more time to observe, devote to uh, a lot of the uh, sections that I'm in charge of and traveling to conventions and so forth. So it, it's, it's been a labor of love. Yeah, I'm about two years out from retirement. I can see it and I can taste it. I just want to be there now. <laughs> I, can, I, well, I can relate. Somebody said, you're going to be bored. I said, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I'm busier now than I was when I was working. Oh, that's but great. I, I love, so that's the main thing. That's good. So the Venus section, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what kind of equipment do you suggest people need to contribute to the Venus section? Well, you know, Venus is so bright, um, and most of the time it's pretty easy to find. So, uh, you know, most people know where, where to look at it in the sky if they have any idea um, of what the morning star or evening star, I'm, obviously it's a planet, but... Um, People ask me all the time, well, what's the minimum aperture that I need to, to have to actually participate in the ALPO programs? And, you know, really about a three-inch refractor or a, maybe a four, four or five-inch uh, uh, catadioptric, um, a MAC or a SCT, that's minimal. But to really get involved, you know, you need to step up another inch or two in aperture uh, to, uh, to do some of the things we do. More advanced stuff, uh, you know. A lot of our observers are using six-inch refractors and ten-inch uh, uh, SCTs and Newtonian. So, you know, there's no fixed, hard, hard and fast uh, minimum, but a three-inch refractor will get you started, or a, a six-inch Newtonian. Yeah. Real well. Do you have visual observers as well as those that do photography? And photography, what type? Is it film photography or is it CCD imaging and things like that now? Well, we have about we have about seventy members of the Venus section, and uh, I would say that uh, about fifty percent of those are still doing uh, visual work, and then we have those that do strictly digital imaging with CCDs. But a lot of them, there's a mix. 
some of them do both, and that's valuable because uh, it's great to know that, you know, what uh, is seen visually um, is so subjective with Venus because it's a tough one um, when you try to uh, image or, or, or try to see the, the markings on the surface. Or It's actually the cloud features on Venus. and um, But simultaneous observations are important because those doing imaging uh, corroborate and confirm a lot of the... Uh, the visual impressions as well. So that's been an added advantage of digital imaging. Yeah. Do you have a preference over one or the other or the differences that you really get? I like it. I like both. And, and observers find that uh, it's pretty fascinating to participate uh, in both endeavors. Um, those that not many people draw Venus like they used to, mm-hmm. um, they still do make it doesn't have to be artistic. It's just to represent. And when we have forms that we provide in the Venus section that makes it easier to uh, record observations. So uh, a lot of people still draw. Um, they do uh, descriptions of uh, what types of uh, cloud features are seen on Venus. And uh, they fall into several categories. And then those observations that we receive, um, when we compare them with the uh, digital images, it's surprising especially those using color filters for visual work, um, how close correspondence there is um, in the visual spectra um, of uh, what features are seen. It's, it's pretty interesting. Great yeah. opportunity to confirm uh, what what's seen visually. Yeah, I know within the training program, I try to push some students toward Venus. I don't think I've ever had a student go through the tra- training program that actually did observations, systematic observations of Venus, because... It's not the easiest thing to see the detail, but you I mean using different color filters and things like that, you can really train your eye to see the finer details and hopefully someday I'll get some student to go that way. <laughs> but I do yeah, push them that absolutely. way. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people once they start out uh, observing Venus just strictly from a visual uh, point of view, um they uh kind of get discouraged, but once they get into using filters uh, color filters and also ver- variable density polarizers. They start to see if they if they keep, stick with it. Uh, they start to eke out those uh, fine details at the threshold of vision mm-hmm. and uh, start noticing the ba- banded dusky markings, the cusp caps, uh, those kinds of things, bright spots. Um, and then when you compare those that are made uh, on the same date and at the same time, which constitutes a simultaneous observation with the digital images. It's some surprising results come from that. That's that's very true. I like that. Yeah. Um, any significant discoveries or observations that have been made in the time you've been the coordinator of the Venus program? Well, you know, a lot of guys have participated in the uh, Venus Express mission, uh, sending in the digital images as well as uh, visual observations. Uh, they've corroborated some bright spots on Venus. Um, that have been seen by uh, the Voyager, uh, I mean the uh, Vex mission uh, spacecraft. Um, all those images have been submitted. You know that that program came to an end uh, in 2015, but from 2006 through 2015, uh, a lot of images went to uh, the Vex mission. That's the European Space Agency mm-hmm. organization, and now the Japan mission to Venus, JAXA, or Akazuki. Uh, is underway now, and observers, they're calling for observers from the ALPO. They want amateurs to present their observations, uh, both visual and uh, uh, digitally. Uh, the, the thing about it is, though, with, with the digital imaging, 
there's specific wavelengths that uh, they are stressing that uh, observers adhere to in doing the imaging. But the guidelines are pretty straightforward, and many of the people doing the imaging uh, previously were using those filters and those techniques. Huh. So there is quite a bit of professional and amateur uh, collaboration when yes, it comes to Venus. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, there have been uh, instances where uh, visual observers have called attention to an extremely bright spot on Venus. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to what might cause that, uh, but uh, there have been confirmation uh, by both the uh, VEX mission as well as those taking digital images. Um, another thing is is the curious ashen light that, um, you know, it's it's something that's been seen for many years. Uh, observers <laughs> A lot of people feel that it's perhaps not uh, a real phenomenon, but it's ter- it has turned out that, uh, indeed, uh, it seems to be something that's been corroborated by some of the uh, observations made by uh, by professionals. Now, for our newer listeners, younger listeners, people that don't quite understand, what is ashen light? Ashen light is the faint glow that, uh, well, the dark side of Venus, when Venus is in a crescent phase, uh, obviously it's kind of like the moon. You have a dark it's not like it looks almost like a very dim earth shine on the dark hemisphere of Venus like we see um, on the moon yes but nowhere near that bright it's okay. it's very subtle and um, it's awfully difficult to detect but you know when uh, when you do see it uh, a lot of observers have sent in observations every apparition we're trying to get observers to actually image it so far there've only been a couple of suspicious uh, uh, images that have come through that look possibly like it might be the ashen light, but it's uh, most of the time it's been apparent visually because nobody has just taken a systematic approach to trying with trying to image it. Yeah, that sounds um, like something that'd be difficult because Venus is so bright, and I'm sure the, the contrast would really be difficult to pick up digitally. Well, one of the things that uh, some observers have done, they've actually built an occulting bar or an oh. occulting bar in the eyepiece to block out the overwhelmingly bright uh, crescent of Venus. And um, some of those observers are the ones that have actually reported it. No, the ashen light goes back 400 years. Mm-hmm. I think it was first reported in 1643. Um, and some say it's due to CO2 in the atmosphere of Venus being uh, split by UV radiation, emitting a greenish glow, and then others attribute it to lightning storms on the atmosphere in the atmosphere of the planet. And there has been confirmed lightning on Venus. And still others say it's merely an illusion, since no spacecraft has conclusive, conclusively detected ashen light, although there are, there are suspect images that, from both uh, spacecraft and uh, Earth-based observers as well. So it's still an open question, but latest research seems to indicate that that greenish glow is there, um, and uh, perhaps due to uh, re-emission of uh, incident radiation in the atmosphere of Venus. Hmm, that's very interesting. What do you see for the future of the Venus section? Well, continuing to participate in these pro-ams. Uh, the, the pro-am stuff keeps going. What is so interesting is, and encouraging, is that more and more professional astronomers have requested submissions of observations by Venus observers if they adhere to the, uh, the parameters of uh, participation. I mean, to follow the, to follow the directions that uh, are, are given by the, the, uh, the space mission. And most people are adhering to it. I would say out of the 70 members, we have about 12 that are really uh, into it right now. And um, more and more people are joining the fold right now. So the future is bright. The more 
programs out there that uh, we can participate in, the more valuable the work becomes. And your your contributors are all over the world? Yes. Oh, yes. We have a spread out everywhere. Um, and uh, I would say probably half are in the North America and then the rest all over the world. South Africa, Iran, Germany, Australia. And so that gives you a good sample uh, where seeing conditions might not be so good from a particular location in the USA. Uh, others in different locations have been able to uh, catch Venus when maybe it's not clear enough here to see it or seeing conditions don't co- cooperate. There's some fan- fantastic stuff coming out of uh, our global uh, observing team. That's great. And that, that, that huge database, too, allows you to have more and more concurrent observations, you know, the chance of that mm-hmm. actually happening. That's correct. And the other thing is is that one of the things that we've stressed in the ALPO is keeping good archives of all the observations that go back to 1947 when the ALPO was founded. founded. And uh, so, you know, it's one of those situations where uh, you maintain this, we back it up, and it's available to any uh, professional astronomer or any groups doing studies of Venus that may need to go back into the historical records and... Um, and look up uh, a particular type of observation, like the Ashen Light, for example. Mm-hmm. And one more point, we share our observations with the BAA and the uh, Royal Astronomical Society of Canada as well, in a, in a good cooperative effort. Oh, that's, that's good to know. And that leads me to my next question, too. Um, how do you publish your results? Are they just in the journal, or does the Venus section have a separate newsletter or something like that? No, we were, we were doing a newsletter way back, uh, but we decided that the best forum is the journal. And um, so that's what we wanted to, to, to get readers who are members of the ALPO to focus on uh, sending their observations in. And then we publish their observations in the journal. We try to give as much attention to their hard work uh, as possible. And uh, so uh, Ken Pashedley, who is our editor of the journal, has done a fantastic job of trying to include uh, apparition reports on a fairly regular basis. And, of course, it's, it's the... Uh, it's our it's our position as recorders and used to be recorders coordinators now um, to get those reports in so people can see their observations and kind of encourages them that uh, you know hey I, I, my stuff is going to be published. Yeah, I I remember being a high school kid and submitting my first comet observation to Dennis Millen, and when it showed up in Sky or uh, the Strolling Astronomer, it was one of the highlights of my young astronomy career. You know, see, yeah, seeing yeah. the work that you did actually get published and used in a paper. Exactly, and then you know that's it's uh, it's available everywhere uh, for people to uh, to see those reports, and we try to referee them so that they come out and they have the most accurate data possible. Mm-hmm. Now, the archives you talked about, where are those located? I have the archives, and also uh, I have those stored on hard drives. And uh, we're trying to work towards a permanent location for the ALPO in the future. Matt Will is trying to really work hard at, on that uh, endeavor. Uh, we want to be able to put those somewhere uh, that, you know, once I pass on, you know, where are they going to go? We want to make sure they go to a place where uh, they're secure. They're secure now, but, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we want them to go to uh, the best location, just like uh, some of the Mars uh, archives and so forth. So they're not available online right now? Well, they're on the ALPO website. Oh, okay. Many of the observations are published there. We go back and we carry the last uh, six or eight years, uh, and I'll mention the ALPO website. There's a Venus page on that, just like one for every other planet. Uh, And observers can see uh, 
their observations, first of all, before they're ever published in the journal. And then uh, they're able to access the uh, ephemerides for Venus, where to look, where it's located, uh, all the data on that. And then, of course, uh, observing forms are available uh, to be downloaded in PDF form on the uh, ALPO website, which makes it quite uh, accessible for those who wish to, uh, you know, get, get involved right away. They don't have to wait for something to get mailed to them. That's great. Do you have any additional information you'd like to share about the Venus section before we wrap this up? Well, we do have a Venus handbook, and that's in PDF form. It's on the website as well, and uh, it's free for download. Anybody that wants to uh, access it. Okay, that's good. So how can everyone get in contact with you? Well, the best way to do that is through the uh, ALPO website, and, um, of course, that uh, is... Uh, you know, my email address, obviously, is jlbaina at msn.com, or you can go to the ALPO website at www.alpo-astronomy.org, and obviously uh, you'll see our website uh, and our, our Venus pages as well. Okay. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? No. Okay. All right. Well, Joyce, I really want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Enjoyed being here. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I want to, again, thank our guest, Julius Benton, discussing the Venus section. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is also in the show notes. You can help support this podcast by donating to it via Patreon. The link for that, as well as the link for the ALPO and any other items that Julius talked about during the podcast are in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at timrobertson56. A reminder, the ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, the planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available to both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.